Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. Uh, yeah, so just sending you love, sending you grace and peace today, uh, especially those of you who are listening to this as you drive into work, um, or you're on the subway, or you're out running, or you're doing dishes, or you're, take care, you're taking care of kids, uh, sending you all kinds of love um, here here in the back house in Los Angeles, California, and um, sending love to all of you in Ohio, because I'm coming to Ohio, and prepare thyself, Ohio. Actually coming to a bunch of places. I have a book coming out in May. It's called What is the Bible? How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters, and Stories Can Transform the Way You Think and Feel About Everything. That subtitle, by the way, just gets more fun every time I get to say it. And uh, so the book comes out May 16th. You can pre-order it now. You can actually pre-order it through my site and get some bonus content that's not in the book itself. And uh, I just recently did the audio book, which is basically where you sit in a little studio isolation booth and read your own book out loud for days on end. It did take literally days to read it. So um, the audio book is uh, coming out as well when the book comes out. Then I'm going to do a bookstore tour. So uh, we'll do Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, um, Denver, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, and then uh, we'll wrap that leg of the What is the Bible tour up in Ohio. So those are a number of things that we have going on. And then my friend Pete Holmes and I are doing a show at Largo. So if you're in uh, Los Angeles, April 17th, Pete and I are doing another one of our shows at Largo. Tickets are at Largo-LA.com. And uh, Largo's so magical anyway. And uh, when Pete and I do our thing together, it's, oh my goodness. I laugh, seriously, I laugh so hard. <laughs> I'm laughing, and it's like three weeks till it happens. I'm already laughing um, and, uh, oh yeah. And then this summer I'm teaching a class at Multiversity 1440, which is this new campus in the Redwoods near Santa Cruz, Northern California. And I'm doing this whole thing on your atomic self and the science of the soul. So let's go hang out in the Redwoods for a weekend, shall we? That's all at 1440.1440.org. You can get all that info. That's just some things that are happening. Um, but this thing that's happening right now. Oh, my word. So, uh, last year, I did a series on wisdom and how there's this ancient wisdom tradition. It's different than your IQ. It's different from where you went to school. It's different from how smarty pants you are. It's wisdom that's available to everybody. And in the ancient tradition, wisdom is a woman, and she comes like she comes down the street basically inviting everybody to be wise, and that wisdom is available to everybody, and there's no ceiling on wisdom. So, so I did this, uh, I don't know how many episodes we did on understanding the wisdom tradition, and uh, the wisdom tradition rooted not just in storing facts, but in knowing how the heart works, how desire works, knowing um, how to discern what the next right thing is to do. And I kept telling you, at some point, we're going to move on to the next kind of wisdom, which is now. And this, so so we talked about wisdom. It's sort of an intro to the wisdom tradition. Now what I want to do for the next little while, this episode and a number of others, is I want to introduce you to alternative wisdom and also called gospel wisdom. And um, then after that, somewhere down the road, I want to introduce a third kind of wisdom, which is the wisdom after wisdom. And that 
Oof, my word. Uh, yeah, I know. So <laughs> we did this earlier wisdom series. Now I want to introduce you to alternative wisdom. And I need to say a couple of things about this. Um, and especially today's, because I'm going to try to ease you into this because uh, we, are, we live in a world that wires us a particular way. And what I want to introduce you to today and begin to explore over the next few episodes is such a different understanding of how the whole thing works um, that it can take a while. So if you find yourself thinking, I kind of get that, but I also kind of have more questions than ever, you're probably on the right track. Um, and so this one is called, this is Alternative Wisdom Part 1, Good News About Nothing. And uh, so I want to start with a story, because sometimes if you start with a story, you can begin to sort of pull apart the story and get at the things that are happening in the story. And my hope and prayer is that you see your own story in the story that I want to show you. Because um, I kept thinking, what's the best way to introduce this idea of alternative wisdom? And um, this, uh, if I think of like things that have shaped me, uh, truths that have altered the course of my life, uh, and to be honest with you, even some things that I'm going through right now, this this is hitting such a raw nerve. Um, so... If at any point I just pause, it's because I'm, <laughs> I'm literally so deep in some of these ideas at such a deep personal level that it's, um, it's sort of making me tremble a bit. So here's what I want to do today. I want to take you through a story. It's in, the, it's in the Bible in the book of Acts. And if you're new to the Bible or, you're new to, or you find the religious, especially the like Bible, God, Jesus stuff, don't worry. We're talking about what it means to be human because anything religious or spiritual, especially anything involving like Jesus or the Bible, if it doesn't take you deeper into what it means to be human, then what are we talking about? Then we're just wasting our time. Um, but what I want to do today to sort of introduce this idea of alternative wisdom is I want to take you through a story about a man named Saul who has a what's often considered a dramatic conversion experience. Have you heard of this? Paul? It's not like I had a Paul that wrote a Damascus experience. I want to take you through the story of Saul, who later becomes Paul. I want to take you through Saul on the road to Damascus, and I want to take you into this story. And I want to show you a few things. I'm already smiling because to me, one of the great joys uh, is to take a story that people are, have heard about. Um, in, in the new book, I talk about Noah and the flood and Abraham offering his son. And I talk about Jonah getting swallowed by a fish. I love taking a story, I, something that's sort of in the ether that people have heard and actually showing them the story and then showing them what's going on in the story because... Uh, you know, the familiar breeds unfamiliarity. Uh, this great philosopher said, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, and unfamiliarity breeds contempt. So, so sometimes you've heard a story, or you, you think you know about something, so much so that it breeds a sort of unfamiliarity. You don't actually know anything about it. Um, and then that breeds a sort of contempt. And so if somebody can take you back to the original thing that you think you're familiar with and show you what's really going on there, it can like set off all sorts of uh, bombs and fireworks and alarms. And uh, so here we go. 
because I want to take you through this story and show you what really is going on. So it's uh, found in the book of Acts, chapter 9. Meanwhile, and actually the title here in this Bible that I'm holding, Actual Pages, we're leaving screen land for a moment, um, Actual Pages in a Book. Meanwhile, it says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, by the way, the Jesus movement, uh, some of its main leaders were women from the very beginning, important to note, um, whether they were men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, so let's just pause right here. Uh, fascinating note that the followers of Jesus were first known as followers, people who belonged to the way. Um, and this goes back to the Thing in the Air series that we just did recently about third way nonviolence. Uh, the followers of Jesus, the Jesus movement, first and foremost, in the beginning, were known as people who belonged to the way, meaning a way of being in the world a way of nonviolent resistance and sacrificial love and generosity and forgiveness and love of enemy. Uh, these people were first and foremost known as they had another vision of what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, what it means to live in human solidarity with each other, uh, which I think, uh, and this is why for you, for so many people, the word Christian is such a negative word. You often, you, I mean, you notice obviously I don't use it that much simply because for so many people it makes them throw up in their mouth. Uh, it's always good to go back to the source. These people were, they belonged to the way. They, be, they, they were calling out the myth of redemptive violence. They saw the lie of empire. They saw that the military industrial complex was rooted in an ancient story of violence and a belief, a lie, an illusion that violence is how you make things better. Uh, and so they lived and they were calling others and inviting others to live in a new way in the world. Um, and so the story is about a man named Saul, who is a very, very, very religious man, and he has a problem with these people who belong to the way. And so he's, uh, he's breathing out murderous threats against them. He wants to bring them before the authorities. He wants to take them down. Now, very interesting, this is a very religious man. His identity is found in his religious accomplishments, in how right he is. In fact, his rightness is so important to him that it's not enough to be right. He has found some people who he believes are wrong. See, the ego needs enemies. The ego needs others to prop it up. When you find your identity in your intellect, your accomplishments, your goodness, your moralness, your progressiveness, your religiousness, your politics, your being rightness, the amount of money you've made, the things you've done, the tribe that you are a part of. When you find your worth, value, and identity in all of these externals, then you're going to need an other, somebody who isn't that, and they are going to serve this role of propping up your own sense of ego identity. If you find your worth and value in being a winner, then you're going to need losers. 
If you find your worth, value, acceptance, and validation in being a progressive, then you're going to need some regressives who you can keep pointing to that buoy up your own sense of being a progressive. If you see yourself as free-thinking, rational, open-minded, then you're going to need some fundamentalists. If you find your worth and value in that, then you're going to need some people who aren't that. You with me now? We starting? How we doing? <laughs> yeah, and see, Paul isn't free. Saul, his name is still Saul, he isn't free. He finds his identity and being this super orthodox, religious, correct person. And so there's this new way of people who find their, their identity, worth, and value in love, and their freedom is a threat. Their freedom is a threat. Which takes us to you and your tribe. Your liberation will always be a threat to somebody who's still enslaved. You being free is terrifying to somebody who's not free. You no longer being caught up in the game that everybody is playing will be deeply troubling to those who are still playing the game. Most people are governed, are owned by systems that determine their worth. So you can enter in and you can, it takes you five minutes and you can spot uh, families, tribes, offices, schools, neighborhoods, towns, industries, uh, extended families generally have a system by which people are rewarded, people are shamed, people are given points, and uh, that's where you find your worth, your acceptance, your validation. And when somebody comes along who isn't owned by those things, who doesn't find their worth and value in those things, well, that's, uh, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. That can be terrifying. So the story is about a man whose identity is so caught up in his accomplishments, his rightness, his correctness, his orthodoxness, his religiousness, that he's literally looking to persecute and imprison people who he believes are wrong. So uh, the story continues, as Saul nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Here's the next line, literally just reading you from the Bible. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. <laughs> I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. <laughs> oh my goodness, raise your glasses, so good. Anytime you've heard somebody say, well, you know, it's not like I had a dramatic conversion, you know, like Saul, Paul on the road to Damascus. Hold on, hold on. What is the dramatic conversion here? Let's just go through the story. He's on his way to a city. A light from heaven, the storyteller wants us to know, flashed around him, whatever that is. He falls to the ground and a voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He gets asked a question. He doesn't answer the question. He asks a question in response. Who are you? <laughs> and then the voice says, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Now go into the city and you'll be told what to do. <laughs> Your mission, should you choose to accept it. That's it. 
That's it. Saul, why are you doing this? Who are you? Go into the city and wait. <laughs> That's a dramatic conversion. That's a dramatic conversion. You get asked a question, you asked a question, and you're told to go and wait for an unspecified period of time for something that isn't named, that is fairly vague and ambiguous. That's the, that's the conversion? <laughs> oh, I love it. And by the way, uh, a light from heaven flashed around him. You know what this is? Like, this is like hints of, this is like, like altered states. By the way, it's fascinating how many times in the scriptures, the interesting thing happens in altered states. And by altered states, I mean, I don't know what you call it. Confusion, bewilderment, vertigo, uh, things are spinning. He's not in his right or normal state of functioning. A bright light flashes. He's asked a question. He asks a question and he's told, just go into the city and then just wait. And then eventually you'll be told what to do. So uh, that's what happens. That's what happens. Now, here's what I find completely awesome. Not only is it vague, but, but when people talk about this, oftentimes when they talk about this, they talk about this as if it's a, a really significant spiritual conversion. But what's the thing that he's told to do? Like, what's he told to do? Wait for an unspecified period of time for something that he doesn't even know what he's waiting for. So when people talk about faith or spirituality or soul or spirit or consciousness, the actual thing is really, really mundane. This is a man who's going to a city to have people arrested and hopefully killed. This is a very focused man with a plan. And two questions and he's told what to do, and suddenly this is a man who's waiting for, for an indeterminate period of time for he doesn't know what. And here's the thing, my friends. There's, there's nothing religious or faith-like about it, really. Just go wait in a city. That's what he's told to do. And here's what's interesting. He's being stripped of everything that he previously relied upon for his worth, value, and identity. So the men traveling, text goes on, story goes on. Men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. <laughs> Don't you feel a bit like the storyteller is just messing with you there? So there's some men with him and they're like, what? Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So this is a man who is headed into a city to round up some people to hopefully have them imprisoned and tortured or executed, however that is. And in no time he's blind and he's being helplessly led into a, into a city in order to wait for he doesn't know what? This was a, a leading a group of heresy hunters, and now he has to be led. Yeah. 
And the friends that he's with are fine. They can see. They're, they just had some weird thing happen, but they can see enough to lead him in. But him, he's being stripped of everything he previously took to be the markers and indicators that he was a success, that he was a leader, that he valued, that he mattered. All of that is being taken away. And then we're told that for three days he's blind, hungry, and thirsty. No food or drink. Nothing left. Now, my friends, there's a thousand things going on here. But let's just start here. The emptiness is where the action is. It's the nothingness that is where all the new things are going to be birthed. This man is being stripped of everything he usually relies on to find his worth, value, and identity. And so he's going to have to go and sit in the emptiness. He knew exactly why he was going to the city. Now he doesn't even know what he's waiting for. So there's a failure of his mission. There's a loss of his sense of grounding and security and confidence and certainty. There's a humiliation of having to be led by the hand into the city that he was triumphantly going in to round up the heretics. All he has now is presence. See, alternative wisdom is the awareness that it starts to get interesting when all that you have leaned on goes away. He has no idea where things are headed, and that's all Jesus needs. Are you with me here? The real wisdom, the real center of life, the love that you're desperately looking for. You hit the wall, excellent. Your life has become unmanageable, good. Now we're being honest. You've lost control, awesome. You're now in the place, you're now in the place of death where there can actually be a rebirth. Now, notice the story. There's nothing in the story about proper thinking there's nothing in the story about orthodoxy. There's nothing in the story about how talented he is. There's nothing in this moment about his morality, whether he's been good or bad or whether he's worked through his personal stuff. Or There's nothing in this, about, in this moment about ethics. There's nothing in this moment about doctrines, reason, strength, enlightenment, consciousness, all of that props up the illusion that that's where our life, love, grounding, and acceptance was ever found. It's all a game. It's all a passing mist. And in this moment, he's waiting in some house in a city somewhere with no food, no drink, and no sight. And that's in that emptiness where all the interesting new things are going to happen. Yeah, see, that's the alternative wisdom. That's gospel wisdom. That what you've been trying to achieve, you've had the whole time. And all of our striving, worrying, working, proving, performing, 
all of the things that we thought were earning us something weren't. And the thing that we thought they were earning us, we've had the whole time. You've been at the party the whole time. You've been a daughter, a son of the divine the whole time. You've been in the whole time. You've been loved the whole time. See, alternative wisdom is good news about our nothingness. It's good news about nothing. It's the announcement that we are loved, rescued, saved, validated, and affirmed, not in all of the long lists of good things we have accomplished in morality and ethics and all of the ways in which we have shown that we're better than other people. All of what we have always longed for meets us exactly in our nothingness. The love that you've been after the whole time you've had the whole time. I know uh, there is this fear of nothingness. There is this haunting sense that you aren't good enough. I know for me, the sense that I missed it, that uh, my life will pass and I won't have made a contribution. I won't have been noticed. I won't have properly made it, whatever it means. There is this existential terror that we're just here for a moment and we blew our chance and then we're gone. Alternative wisdom, gospel wisdom, Christ wisdom is what meets you exactly in that moment. Not in the moment when you've done something that props you up, that like, hey, look, it, I'm pretty good. No, it's what meets you in your moment of zero-ness, nothingness. It's in the moment when you are most aware that you don't have it all together. That alternative wisdom, gospel wisdom, announces to you that the game was never about you having it all together. It's the God who meets you in your not having it all togetherness. So you're a mom and you don't feel like you're a very good mom. It's exactly in the moment when you are most aware of how you don't feel like you're a good enough mom that gospel wisdom meets you with love, grace, validation, acceptance. It's in the moment when you trip again and fall for that temptation that gets you every time and you're most aware of how you have no will and you have no self-will and it feels like you have no self-control and you fall for this every time. It's exactly in that moment of shame and humiliation that it happened again that you are met with a different kind of wisdom, a gospel announcement that you're, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. And you and I live in a world that shouts law at us all day long. You know what law is? Law is the people who work the hardest. They're the ones who, who are, are in. The, the most beautiful people, they're the ones who are in. The people who make the right decisions. The people who uh, can control their desires. They eat well. They exercise at all the right times. They know when to speak. They know when to hold their tongue. The, the people who have got a handle on this bustling electric bundle of nerves that gets us into so much trouble, they're the ones 
that's law. You know what I'm talking about, right? The law is the people who all seem to be able to get behind the velvet rope and know each other. Law is the people who got the best grades. Law is the people who are consistent. Law is the generous people who send handwritten notes later thanking you. The people you're like, ah, oh, I wish I was that good. Yeah, that's law, law. And if alternative wisdom, if Jesus' wisdom was simply an announcement that, hey, all the good people are in, hey, God loves all of the 4.0s, that wouldn't be anything new. That would be what you and I already know because that's how the world works. Jesus' wisdom, gospel announcement kind of wisdom, is about a complete different wiring. It is in the emptiness. It is in the exact moment when you have been stripped of all of the things that you were relying on to prop yourself up and make yourself feel good about yourself. It's exactly in the moment when all those things are gone and you're hungry and thirsty and blind. It's exactly in that moment that you hear, you're okay, you're loved. You're a child of the divine. Can you trust that? Can you trust that? Now, you can see what religion did. And specifically, let's talk about the Christian religion. Obviously, Jesus would be mortified that a religion started in his name. That's fairly clear. We've talked about that before. But you can see what, especially what the Jesus tradition did, is that many times the Jesus tradition took Jesus' wisdom, and because it's so foreign to our ears, because it is such the opposite of how the world works, it took this tradition and just turned it into another law. It just turned it into what some call transactionalism, which is if you believe the right stuff, then you're in. If you live the right way, then it kicks into gear. And not just that, but then you have to believe that other people aren't. So you have to believe that other people are going someplace bad when they die, that they are out there. It's not just the inness, it's the out. What religion often did, and particularly the religion that sprouted up around Jesus that he would be mortified about, is it turned gospel alternative wisdom, the good news announcement that is in your death, it is in your emptiness, it is in your loss, it is in your failure that you're actually found, saved, loved, and valued. It's exactly in that place. And it turned it into another transaction. Hey, if you get good, if you believe the right things, if you become orthodox, if you be whatever it is, you're with me on this, right? If you just become enlightened, if you just enter the next level of consciousness, you guys, various traditions have different language for it. If you just do the best deeds, if you're just with the right group and not with the wrong group, then turn it into another transaction. It's not a transaction. It's an announcement. It's an announcement of what's been true the whole time. It's an announcement. So for every one of you doing dishes, driving into work, working out, taking care of some kids, trying to run a business, and you're on a regular basis haunted by the sense of not good enoughness, Gospel wisdom is what meets you. The Jesus gospel here meets you in exactly that moment. Not with shame and condemnation, but with nothing can separate you from this love. With nothing you could ever do could separate you from the love of the divine. It meets you with, wait, you didn't think that, like, it was a point system, did you? Yeah, no. That's the whole point of everything Jesus is doing. God has thrown out the point system. 
Yeah, we're not doing law here. We're doing grace. We're doing gospel. And for many people, their understanding of gospel was so shaped by law and transaction that when they hear actual gospel, it sounds wrong, it sounds heretical, it sounds too good to be true, because it's so alternative, and it's so different, and it's so counterintuitive, and my friends, it's so life-changing. It's so life-changing. So now you want to help the poor, you want to make some art, you want to run a business, you do it from a different place. We're not trying to rack up points here. The point system has been tossed out. Now all that's left to do is, well, what would, well, we might as well do some meaningful work. We might as well tackle some big problems. Yeah, that's why I do this. That's why I do this. Because, well, what are we going to do? If we're not doing this to earn anything, then what would be most enjoyable? What would be a contribution that would get us up in the morning? Let's do that then. Let's do that. You end up doing everything then from a different place. You end up doing it from a different place. You're no longer earning, striving, grasping, trying to rack up points, trying to prove to everybody, which means you're trying to prove to yourself that you're good enough, worthy enough. We don't play that game anymore. And so what I love about the story about, well, you know, it's not like I had a radical, you know, it's not like I had a Paul on the road to Damascus experience. You mean you were struck... <laughs> <laughs> you mean you weren't struck blind, didn't eat or drink, and were told to go and just wait for something? And that's why the story to me is so compelling is because it's how it works. So for every one of you who right now feel a bit disoriented, the things that you used to lean on, tribal identity, family, friend, work, whatever, religious relationships and networks that propped you up and gave you a sense of, oh, I matter, I'm with the good guys, Perhaps all of those have been stripped away. Maybe even significant relationships have blown up in your face. And it used to be like, well, you know what? I'm with so-and-so, so I can't be that bad. Maybe you're having all of these props removed. Maybe you got fired. Maybe your kids are making destructive decisions that are breaking your heart. And you're like, well, did I waste my time? Am I even a good parent? Maybe your business is failing. Maybe you're not doing that well in school. Maybe your tribe is slowly but surely kicking you out because you no longer are conforming to the dominant understandings. Yeah. And so all of the things that you used to lean on to tell you, maybe you've really made a mess of things and done some things that are wrong, cruel, injustice. Maybe you cheated on somebody, betrayed somebody, really truly harmed somebody, stole something, whatever it is. And the things that you used to lean on to tell yourself, hey, I'm okay. Maybe those are all getting yanked away. What we know from this story is in your nothingness, that's all Jesus needs. That's all the divine needs. Yep, that's all the divine needs. Can you trust that? Can you trust that? Can you trust that? So that, my friends, is an introduction to alternative wisdom. That's good news about your nothingness. Yeah. Yeah. And this one, this takes a while. This takes a while. So uh, we'll just keep taking, we'll take another swing at it in the next episode and we'll just keep rolling. Grace and peace.
my friends.